especially when I first started. I was the only woman, the youngest, and the only Black. I graduated high school when I was 16, college by the time I was 20, so I literally grew up in corporate America. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But first, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What's going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, this weekend was actually pretty interesting. So back a couple months ago, I kind of get a random call from a guy named Aaron who had heard me on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast and said, hey, man, I just, you know, like, I feel like we're kind of going along the same path. would love to catch up with you. Got a friend who's in Massachusetts. I'm going to be coming up that way sometime in the summer. Got a friend who's a guide. Let's go whitewater rafting. Turns out that ended up being this last weekend. Everything worked out for us schedule-wise. And so me and a few of my friends and Leslie drove up to Maine and met up with, at the time, some random strangers who turned out to be some good folks. And we went whitewater rafting in Maine. So shout out to Aaron, On, Robin, and Lee. Sweet. That sounds like a blast, man. So this was also a pretty crazy week for me. So I know last week I had mentioned that I was under contract on that house in Connecticut and the house in Alabama. (laughs) Literally, both of them fell through. And now I'm actually under contract on two different houses. Same exact scenario. The place in Alabama is in the same exact condo association. It's just another one that happened to go up for sale a week later. And then I got one about 15 minutes south of that first property in Connecticut. So I'm kind of back at it. Things didn't work out with that first one, but hopefully everything happens for a reason and it's all going to work out. In the end, it's definitely starting to get colder out here. The last couple of days out at the lake house have been cold at night because we don't have any heat or AC in here. So it's kind of just going with the weather, being cold-blooded. But yeah, that's pretty much everything with me. Before we dive into today's episode, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Every small business has unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. Their state-of-the-art software makes it super simple to analyze and compare different candidates. LinkedIn has an active community of more than 690 million professional members worldwide. So what LinkedIn Jobs does is of that huge community, it actually goes and finds those candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for. And it puts your job post in front of qualified members every day so that it's seen by people looking for jobs like yours. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash fyshow. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fyshow to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So today we have Terry on the show and she did some incredible things. She actually graduated high school at 16 and college at 20, but just got going down that kind of standard route, normal W-2 job, parents were workaholics. And then all of a sudden one day, you know, it just kind of hit her that this wasn't really freedom This is more like bondage. And then she also hits a point in life where she's pregnant and she gets laid off. And so she's thinking, I'm not going to be able to work for like a year and starts putting some serious thought into her side hustle as a tax preparation office, puts in tons of hard work there, builds that up. And now today she's doing speakings. She's a business consultant and she's helping other people realize their dream of stepping away from that traditional employment and creating their own business. Take it away, Terry. That first 
moment for me, and you're right, out of the gate, for many years, I didn't have that, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about finances, anything about credit story. I was very lucky to have an uncle who was like my dad that really steered me in that direction. And so I just went forth, you know, within the plan that someone kind of was guiding me towards. But it wasn't until I was deep in corporate America, I was in IT for 10 years and I went straight from graduation into corporate. And I didn't have a chance to really just experience any financial pitfalls because I went from living with my mom to, wow, I'm making money. You know, and at the time it was 45 a year and I thought I was just as rich as can be. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was rich to me, you know, <laughs> fresh out of college, but five years into that career, when I began to move up into management and I realized, wait a minute, this feels like a lot of work. It feels like I'm running my own business. The higher I climb up this ladder, there's more pressure. The money doesn't feel as good as it did when I was just being able to go to work and go home. I'm taking work with me. My job is always on my mind. I have all these people that are reporting to me. And all of a sudden, even though I had this salary and at this point I'm close to six figures and at six figures, my life the life that I lived didn't feel like the money that I made. And that is not what I visioned. You know, when I graduated college, you think that, oh, when you get the, the start having these big paychecks, you never really think about, oh, what the life is going to look like. And that was when I started having this tug inside of me to say, OK, wait a minute. This is not freedom. This is not freedom. This is bondage. This feels like I don't have a life. What can I do to really, what does financial freedom mean to me, number one, and how do I get there? And that is when the tug of entrepreneurship started to come into the formula. So when you're having all these thoughts and you're starting to have that internal battle, and like you said, this feels more like bondage than freedom, and you know this is not what you thought. Did you have any peers or anyone that you could kind of confide in and say, you know, I'm not sure I can do this any longer? Like, were people trying to talk you off the edge or did you just keep that inside? I did not have any peers that had different aspirations because my life, my peers and everyone in my circle were IT geeks. I like to say I grew up in an IT locker room. I was most often, especially when I first started, I was the only woman, the youngest and the only black. I graduated high school when I was 16, college by the time I was 20. So I literally grew up in corporate America. And so everyone had the same aspirations. So on one side, I've always been surrounded around six-figure earners. And so I learned how they spent their money and the things that they did. You know, they, they invested in vacations and boats, not a lot of material things, but more experiences. So I did get a really good positive experience from learning, okay, this is what people do with their money. But when it came to the lifestyle, everyone worked long hours. Everyone was willing to stay late if they needed to. Everyone had piled up vacation time. No one really had a conversation outside of the typical corporate American. And For that reason, I believe that's why I spent my wills, because when you aren't simply aware of a different way, unless you're just you just really 
are reading a lot of books outside of your industry, you don't even know. You just know that there's something else out there. And so it took a while. I was in corporate for 10 years, but seven of those years, I was saying the same mantra, like, this is not for me. This is not for me. How do I get out of this? This is not for me. And I finally, I started my own side hustle. What began as a side hustle within corporate. And once I did that, naturally you start to meet entrepreneurs and having different conversations and seeing another way. And then just through the inspiration of that and through kind of your natural intuition, I started doing things differently. So I definitely want to back this up because, whoa, you graduated high school at 16, college at 20. I'd love to talk a little bit more about home life in the early years. Like what were these types of money lessons that were getting taught to you? If any, you just mentioned you grew up in corporate America So like what lessons were you learning in your home life? And then you became an entrepreneur. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what those early years were like. So two sides of the coin with that. One is both my parents are workaholics. And that was a good thing and a bad thing to witness that as a child, because I learned later on that I associated making a lot of money with working a lot of hours, which resulted in some some mindset blocks because you don't have to work (laughs) you know, that hard to make a lot of money, but that's what I thought. So I really grew up with a very strong work ethic and I would see how my mom and my dad handled their finances. We didn't have a lot of direct conversations, but enough to give me a foundation where I knew that money management and making money was important and you had to have a strategy behind it. But my parents weren't very They didn't sit down the way that I do with my kids today and say, okay, this is what you do with this. And this is what you do with this. All I knew was pay your bills and save some money. (laughs) That was the end of it. Right. But I had this uncle and when I was 16 years old and I had like, I guess you could say a rich uncle, he, he was my dad's brother. He didn't have any kids. And so he often treated us as his kids. And when it was time to buy my first car, he wanted, he wanted me to, be a co-signer on it so that I could build credit. And they wouldn't let me because I was 17. I had to turn 18. So I didn't have a car at first when I went to college. But when we went back, he explained to me why he wanted me to do that. And throughout that process, we we bought the car. He paid the note for two or three years. And then he sent me a, a fat check and we paid it off. And I had good credit because of that. That experience, it was a very pivotal experience. It set me up for life because I bought my first house when I was, I think, 21 or 22, something like that. By the time I was 21, 22, I just understood the basics of money because of him holding my hand and me watching my parents, their mistakes, the things that they did right. And I always had this natural knack for it because I didn't want to repeat the mistakes that I saw with my parents, which I just didn't want to work like that all the time, you know, but I had to learn a lot on my own. I really did have to learn a lot on my own. One of the stories that I like to tell people sometimes is when I went through the process to buy my house and this is my first time pulling my credit and kind of getting it together. And I see that there was this old water bill on my credit report. Of course, it wasn't mine. It was from when my mom used my name, maybe when I was like 10 or something, maybe they had a hard time. I didn't know about it. Maybe they went through a hard time. And through that process, this this was back when you could order these credit repair kits. They would send you like a, 
envelopes and instructions and tell you how to get things off your credit. That was my first experience with learning credit, was trying to undo a mistake that my parent made, right? So it's like I saw good things and I saw bad things. And once I tried to just make these financial milestones in my life, I just became really obsessed with making sure that my future was the future that I wanted when it came to my finances. And so it was just kind of a lived experience situation for me. So you've brought up a few things that you did pick up from your parents, both good and bad, and those habits that you saw. But then you also talked about your children and things you're trying to pass down to them. So I guess, what are ways that you're trying to show your kids that it's not just the harder you work, like you have to be this insane workaholic in order to have financial benefits or that money matters or you know, I'm not sure how old your kids are, but just curious, what are some of those tools and ways of teaching that you're they're using to pass that down to your kids? I have three boys, 10 years old, 15 and 17. And I am very intentional about financial money lessons with them, meaning sit at the table. This is a mini class session and I do it with them and I do it with their friends. And the number one thing that I've always done is I have always since I probably three or four years old, I have painted a millionaire vision in their mind. I tell them, you know, it's very easy to be a millionaire. Making money is easy. I I wanted them to feel like money wasn't this big pie in the sky thing, that it's just a thing. And all you have to do is a few strategic things and you'll have it. And the reason why I became intentional about that is because I personally feel that if someone had just painted an easier picture in my mind, I would have completely had a different type of ambition than, and I learned that later in life. And so, because everything that I dreamed of, I accomplished. And when I accomplished it, I went, holy crap, I should have dreamed bigger. You know, I went towards everything that I envisioned. I envisioned, oh, before I'm 30, I will be making six figures and I'm going to be this traveling corporate girl and I'm going to have a house and I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. And I thought I was dreaming big, but I wasn't. And so I put really big dreams in their mind just to set the framework in the mindset because I understood how important the limiting beliefs that I had had me shooting smaller instead of going bigger. And so if they said, mom, I want to be a fireman, I would say yes, but make sure you're the chief. And then maybe, you know, I would always go bigger. Or if they said, I want to play in the NBA, but make sure you own the team, right? I will always just teach them to think big and then go bigger. The second thing is that I intentionally just would give them money principles. Several things from 13 years old, I would give my son my debit card and say, hey, can you do me a favor and go online and pay the light bill? Or, And there's so much that they learn by doing simple money activities like that. I believe that's how I learned my 13-year-old didn't know our address. I'm like, what? You don't know our address? Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, or so you they learn so much. So I involve them in my finances. And not making money this big secret and something that we don't talk about because that's how I was raised. And so sometimes when I have big financial wins with my oldest one, I will show him, hey, come here, let me show you something. 
check out my my PayPal account, check out my Stripe account, right? He's like, whoa, like, yeah. You know, so it's something that my 17-year-old is actually an entrepreneur. And it's almost laughable how this type of teaching has really shaped his mind because money is nothing to him. I mean, he, right now, he's built a studio and he's had three businesses up to, until this point. In his business now, he charges $30 an hour to record in his music studio. He self-taught himself. And sometimes he makes $300 a week. He also works at the grocery store and the bakery. I mean, and he's 17. He made, I want to say, close to $2,000 his first month selling on Poshmark. But anything that I tell him to do, he runs and, and does it without any hesitation because of this mindset, because he feels like money is just a result of an algebra equation. If you do something, someone has a strategy and they say do A, B, and C, and you're going to get this, heck yeah, I'm doing it. So I really just set the table for them to receive strategy and execute on it with the expectation that I can do it. And then the last thing that I'm intentional about, of course, is just morals and and principles. And even though we talk about money, I'm a Christian household. I tell them that, but it's not about chasing money. It's about chasing your purpose and don't make it an idol in your life and giving back and all those things. And so I think it's working. I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> I think you're doing awesome, Terry. And it sounds like you are just setting these kids up for a lifetime of success. And I really love this conversation about mindset because I really do think that is the one huge differentiator between those who do and those who don't. Like people who say they can't do X, Y, or Z, usually it's a limiting belief because of mindset. They aren't thinking big enough, like you were saying, like when you were, whatever, 20 years old saying, you know what, I'm gonna start making my first six figures by the time I'm 30, and then you hit that in the next five years. I just feel like mindset is super important, but I'd love to go back to your story for a second, because like you had alluded to earlier, you start this little side hustle, which was, I think, doing something with taxes, and then this side hustle just takes on a whole body and mind of its own and becomes probably something way bigger than you ever could have imagined because you had these parents who had instilled this workaholicism, if that's even a word, into you. And then you have this entrepreneurial venture that just absolutely takes off. Could you talk about what that was doing to your mindset? Because I know for me, when I started first making those entrepreneur dollars, I was like, wow, like nobody told me this was possible. This is crazy. I didn't know that you could stop trading time for money on a linear basis. Could you talk about just all the things that were going on during those years? Yeah, so... I was laid off in December of, I can't remember what year it was. And if you know anything about corporate America, getting laid off around the holidays is not the best time to be looking for a job, right? And I was laid off, like it was a company-wide layoff. The second week I found out like, oh, I'm pregnant, you know, which was a great thing. I was having my second baby and I'm like, oh wait, I'm pregnant. So I'm going to be unemployed for the next year, you know, I'll be showing. And so it was at that point where it was the second year of me taking my side hustle seriously, which was a tax preparation company. So I scrambled together. I leased a place by January. And with the first month, I got 100 clients in the first what? month. And let me tell you, I hustle. You know, this was before social media and all that was a thing. And when I tell you I hustled, Cody, I hustled. Like I gave myself a quota of passing out business cards. 
I spent money. I would go buy packs of gum just to give my cards to the employees. I would go buy French fries at the McDonald's. Like every store around my office, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm across the street. I'm over here. I'm over there. Who I like your hair. Do you need to file your taxes? Right. So <laughs> I really, really, really hustled. I mean, I didn't even know what to do. I paid cousins to put flyers on cars in apartment complexes that wanted to sue me for doing that. Like I didn't know, I just <laughs> like everybody needs to know. I bought, what is it? Fast signs, this big banner. And I nailed it up on the side of the building because it was a storefront lobby space that I leased. I nailed up tax service, right? So I just did all the things that you could think of. And because I had just, I was just laid off and this was a big job. And I'm like, I need to replace this money ASAP. I'm about to have a baby. And so what was going on through my mind then, once I got those, that first month, I was like, what? No wonder people are doing this. No wonder so many people do taxes. Oh my gosh. Like I didn't know. I, I just immediately saw the potential. I immediately saw if I just really had the time to really grow this thing, wow, it would be amazing. But you know what? I was not in corporate for more than maybe five years at that point, And it felt so secure and it was still my for sure money. And so by the time I had the baby and in the, the end of the year rolled around and it was time to make a decision again, even though I had such amazing success that tax season, I still went back to work because I, I had not yet built up that mindset. I was still... I still had the corporate America veil over my mind, you know, that that paycheck security type of thing. And so what I did was I trained someone and she ended up being with me for like maybe 10 years. She had experience. I found someone and put her in the store. And this was back when Yahoo Messenger was a thing. And I figured out I found the only software company at that time. They were one of the first ones on the market that had online tax preparation software. So I could like log into it and see what she was doing. And I hired someone basically. I duplicated myself the second season. And I and I had an office just right down the block from my corporate office in Plano. And that's what I did. In my job, literally no one knew for maybe the next seven years that I had a business. No one knew. <laughs> like no one knew. And so... But it was still, it was in terms of mindset, believing in myself. I think that we all have that story where your back is just against the wall and and it just has to work. It just has to work. So during that time when I was laid off, it just had to work. But then when I was able to go back to work, that mindset, not that I'm, I'm thinking about this now, that, mind, that mindset kind of like that fire under me kind of left. And once I had a choice, I still went back to corporate and I should, I think I shouldn't have, I think I should have just, you know, toughed it out and grew it. But I eventually did leave about five years later and I, it went amazing. Well, what you just talked about, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people go through that as far as that just scary moment. If you even consider leaving a corporate job to go out and try to build something on your own. And you had that compelling moment where you kind of got force out of the nest. And so that kind of pushed you to start it. I mean, who knows if you would have ever started that business, right? If you would have never had that compelling event. So I guess what I would like to ask is for people who are out there who are, you know, they're okay with their job. They're not really fulfilled with it. They've got this thing they'd like to try, 
but they don't have to. They haven't been laid off. Like things are going okay. Like what would you say to them to encourage them to take the risk to do something like what you did? Well, number one, it has to be a true inner desire because everyone doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. So one, I would say really understand what it is that you want. So for the people that know, yes, this is something that I want. There's a pull in me. There's a tug in me. I don't want to do it just because I want to make money, but I do feel there's that it's a part of who I am as a person to have my own business. Those are the people that are going to be able to have the mental strength to overcome those down days or to overcome the the fear. But I would say number one is believe in the potential of the result that you can bring to the market. When you concentrate your efforts into something, building something that you, you know, you, you have the skill set that you can provide these results, believe in that, pour all of your energy into it. And I can almost guarantee it is going to result in multiply your income. It's going to result in a level of abundance that a job just will never, ever give you. And number two, I mentioned that I spent my wills for a while just operating off of intuition and it didn't dawn on me to invest in business strategy education that would allow me to collapse my time and move a little bit faster. And I think the, I know the mistake that I made is a lot of times you have fear because you, there's some missing knowledge that you have. Confidence comes from knowing something really well, right? You have a confidence in knowing that you can be a consultant in this area because you know, you've done it. I've done this all this time. I can do budgets for people or I can do X, Y, and Z. There's a confidence because you know it. The reason why people fear entrepreneurship is because no matter what it is that they do, they don't have the knowledge of the business aspect, maybe of marketing, maybe a strategy, maybe of what you need to do. And a lack of confidence is only a lot of the times just because you're missing some education in that. So instead of spinning your wheels trying to figure out what to do and how to do it, dive into the business books or the business podcasts, or even if there's a mentor or a business course that you can take, dive into that because the confidence that knowledge gives you collapses your time so much because it gives you the push to go out there. And I believe that is why I stayed a lot longer because I couldn't map out the steps in my mind, but I wasn't aware of the steps. And so my final layoff was, again, I I said, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to corporate America. And I figured out how to grow my business from there. I just, because I just had to. So that would be my biggest advice is just believe in your potential and what you don't know, just go find the strategy. Don't think that you have to operate off of intuition and smart people just figure it out. No, smart people find other smart people to help them figure it out and you will collapse your time tremendously. That is my biggest, maybe regret is too strong of a word, but that's, I w- if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, girl, stop thinking you're supposed to be a genius and just, you're supposed to grow your business on your own and you don't know anything. Go find help and strategy to help get you there. Because once I did, it was skyrocketed. So we've probably all heard that 
data point that's like 95% of small businesses fail. And I know we've been talking a lot about mindset and dreaming big and things like that, but there's obviously tactical stuff that actually goes into this, like making sure that your bottom line is in the black, not the red. Do you have any ideas or maybe just share some thoughts about what a lot of these small businesses are getting wrong where 95% of them are disappearing within a couple of years? I believe that they don't know what to focus on that actually moves the needle. They focus on the wrong things. They Newer business owners tend to jump straight to marketing. They go straight to getting the attention and straight to what do I need to do to let people know that I'm here and I'm doing this amazing thing. And they're maybe even trying to go on podcasts and building websites and posting on Instagram and all of that stuff is maybe 10 steps down the road. A real business can make money without any of that. Right. So one of the main things is just perfecting your offer, what it is that you do. Pour all of your energy in the beginning to creating something amazing and operating from what I call your place of 10. Meaning, I tell my students sometimes, there's a difference between ministry and industry. And because I come from the finance space, a lot of people operate from a place of ministry. I just want to help people. I just want to give. I just want to, you know, and it's like, yeah, but you need to make money in order <laughs> for you to fi- help people become financially stable. You need to be financially stable. You don't want to come from a place of desperation. You want to operate within the business industry. And there are certain strategies that just work. And so And that's a part of the foundation. One, really create an offer, meaning whatever it is, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, getting that right and making it amazing and getting real, real results. And so that may mean if you are a service provider, it may mean you serving some people that have your problems, the the problem that you solve for free so you can perfect how you walk people through that process. So when you do go out to the market, You come out with more energy and more confidence and you know exactly who you're able to help. Also, knowing who you aren't a good fit for. And once you really work on the foundation, your customers are going to do a lot of the work for you. I didn't take new clients for like three or four years. I didn't print business cards for six or seven years. I didn't have a website for probably the first five years of my business. I only cared about great customer service being able to really being able to provide a great service where I could hit a home run. So, and I knew who I could hit a home run with and who I did it when I, the first five years of business, I couldn't handle someone making two, $300,000 a year in their business. I really didn't have the, the education for that. I was better for small business owners. And so I knew who my client was and that client was able to bring me more clients like them and more clients like them. And so Just really don't try to go to marketing and all that. Create something amazing first. And then once that's done, you can freely just free up your time and spend it all on marketing because your framework is solid. And all you're doing is scaling from that point. And obviously, we always love to kind of highlight those success stories, right? Like and the inspirational thoughts and how people do so well in business. But what are maybe some signs that you need to kind of take a step back, pause and change up your strategy a little bit? Like, I feel like some people kind of hold on to a bad framework too long and drive themselves into the ground. Like, what are some signs that maybe this isn't working? It's not just going to get better tomorrow. Like, I need to change something. Well, I like to say, look at what you've accomplished 
three months in a row. You're making money in your business. Let's start there. Can you for sure say that I'm going to make X amount of dollars each month for the next three months in a row without a shadow of a doubt? Like, what is that number? So so let's say that if it's $1,000, I'm just talking about an easy number. If you can't say that you can consistently make the same amount of money for three months in a row, and money is not your freedom money at, at the same time, meaning we all have a number that we have to make in order for us. If you're a full-time business owner, you know there's a certain amount of money that you have to make to pay your bills, for you to live the life that you want to live. If you cannot consistently make your freedom number three months in a row, four months in a row, five months in a row, where it's just a regular thing and you're operating from a place of just trying to make that higher, then something may be wrong right? Like what is it that I'm doing or not doing? And if you can't even meet your freedom number, anytime there's a broken process, there's a broken system, there's some missing knowledge, there's something missing. And if a person is spinning their wheels for three months, six months, seven months, I'm talking after, I'm not talking about a newbie that doesn't know what their business is, but they're already in business. They've already sold it. But if three months is to me is a good calibration of measuring something has to change, you know, something has to do better. So consistency with predictable profits is an indication of maybe my framework needs to improve so that I can have these consistent profitable months. So while we're talking about business strategy, I know, Terry, you focus a lot on teaching people how to kind of package their skills, their already existing skills, or maybe newly learned skills into an online business. And obviously, the just the whole world has changed so much in the last 20, 10, five years, like it's been so rapidly changing since the invention of the internet and our smartphones and all this crazy stuff where your reach is just so exponentially affected compared to what it was, say, in the 1990s or early 2000s. Could you talk about how you teach people how to have that more broad online mindset? Like what are some of the different strategic moves that online entrepreneurs should be making that maybe their counterparts in the physical space aren't doing as much? So number one is I teach people how to package their expertise. So whether you're a consultant, you can provide some type of service, anything that you can do virtually, that's a result of something you know or can do that can actually provide a tangible outcome to people. So it starts there. But the number one key thing is that you have to charge premium prices if you don't want to spend three years and 3,000 clients trying to get to a number that actually frees up your time. You have to create a transformational offer that you can charge a premium price for so that you can create not only the business that you want in terms of income, but also the lifestyle that you want. And that is the shift that even happened for me is instead of having 19. And and of course, there's other ways that works. But for service providers that are new to online, the easiest thing that you can do is come from a place of what it is you already know how to do. I already know how to get people these types of results. I'm already amazing at that. Let me just figure out how to package that and give it to more people. And you're always going to make more money off of what you know 
than what you do. So for me, even though I made a lot of money, my tax business was virtual. My average client, just a regular you know, tax preparer, was maybe $500, six to $700, depending on what they needed, right? Unless it was like a huge you know, business client. There's only so many people that I could do at that price point. And that's only going, that, that would have only gotten me so far. And so to scale my business, virtually, I had other tax preparers help them build their own clientele, made money off of that, so on and so forth. But still, that was doing. When I began to shift and package up my knowledge, package up my knowledge of, of knowing how to do taxes, meaning putting that into courses, I would be doing speaking events as well. I would make far more money in far less time by packaging up my knowledge in course sales and ebooks and speaking engagements. And so I was able to work less by the end, by the end, the last three, four years of my business, my personal book of clients, meaning the, the tax returns that I physically touched was less than 30 people before it was close to 200. Right. And so Really looking at your business from a different perspective and saying, okay, if it takes me 10 clients to make $10,000, what can I create in that? But what serving those 10 clients might take me 100 hours, right? So, what can I do where I can make that same $10,000 in less time? And looking at it from that perspective, planning from your profit and your time versus just looking at what I can do for people. That's the shift with building an online business that doesn't have you doing all the things. And when you look at, when you set your goal and you say, my goal is to have $10,000 months. Now, which way do I need to get there? Because most entrepreneurs, they start, like I said, from the marketing. I'm just going to start posting and I'm going to do a YouTube and I'm going to do this. But it was never tied to their, their profit goal. Because you can have a $10,000 a month with just serving two clients or four clients. And if depending on what it is that you do, you may only need to be on LinkedIn and that's it. You, you don't even have to do all of that other stuff. So when it comes to building, leveraging social media, I want people to understand that it's not about trying to be this influencer or trying to post all the time and spending all your valuable time on social media, right? It's just, using it as a marketing tool and really hitting your goal with it and just doing that. And that's it. So you brought up something there about, you know, charging that premium, which means I think getting to a level of confidence where you feel like you are worth a premium. And I've asked a few guests this, but I always just appreciate the insight of what does it take or what is your advice to somebody who's starting up this business to realize like, I am an expert enough. Like I have enough expertise. I can charge for my knowledge. Like I can charge a premium price. So what there are other people out there in the world who do a similar service. Like I'm good enough to charge that premium. The number one thing is that when it comes to the confidence, which is why I've, I've put that in my kid's head at such an early age, right? It's like charging your worth because you're right. That is the biggest mindset block that people have. They feel like they have to prove themselves before they're worthy of asking for a premium rate. 
But once you have created something, you're literally transforming someone's life. You're literally maybe helping someone's dream come true. You are literally collapsing their time. Without the thing that you do, they may have spent another three years when you can just work with them for three months. That is so valuable. And so instead of looking at yourself, look at what you're doing for someone. Look at how you're changing their life. Look at how you're becoming a part of their story. When people are coming to someone that charges a premium price, it's because they want this problem solved. They want they want something so bad and they need so much help. They need someone that just can help them in the exact place that they are in. And when you realize that you're the answer to that, it's not about the fact that it only takes you three months. You're not charging them for the fact that it only takes you six phone calls. You're charging for the time that you've collapsed, the transformation you're providing in their life, and the years of, and they may even go forth and have skill sets that they will be able to multiply in different ways in their own lives. And so look at the value that you're giving another human being and how you're probably the answer to someone's prayers and Once you stop focusing on yourself and focus on what you're bringing to the world, you cannot serve from that place and charge a very cheap price without at some point resenting your business and the client. You want to serve from your place of 10. And if you cheapen yourself and if you don't charge appropriately for the time that it takes to change someone's life, then you are going to eventually resent it and you're not going to want to do it that long and then you're taking your gift away from the world. And so when you look at the bigger picture, I think that you just have to get to a place where you stop making it about yourself and your confidence and really see it for what it is and charge for it. You don't have you can come straight out the gate charging five thousand. I mean if you've been at sitting in corporate America and you work in a nonprofit and you've been helping them making sure that their nonprofit is running smoothly for the last 20 years, and then you become a nonprofit consultant. You don't have to say, yeah, but I'm new to business, so I'm only going to charge you 500 bucks. No, you have 20 years of experience, right? So just charge off of the transformation and not based off your confidence because people would love for you to transform their lives. Man, I wish I had you sitting on my shoulder, Terry, when I started my entrepreneurship journey because I was totally the guy who wasn't confident enough to charge for my services, also the guy who opened probably 20 social media accounts when I started my first entrepreneurial venture, doing the exact thing you just advised against with starting with marketing. And you have just dropped so many knowledge bombs here. And obviously, Justin and I could not get to everything today, but you do a ton of work helping other entrepreneurs, putting out awesome content, doing speaking engagements. For anyone who wants to follow up, learn more about you and your story, what you do, where are some of the best places that people can reach you? My website, terrychantel.com. It's T-E-R-R-I-E-C-H-A-N-T-E-L. And I'm Terry Chantel everywhere on Facebook, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. Awesome. And Terry, this is a financial independence show. And so the one thing we always ask our guests is, what is your number one tangible tip for people who are on that path to financial independence? Invest in yourself to collapse your time of learning anything that you want to learn, whether it's how to trade in the stock market or start a business or invest in real estate. You will make your money much quicker when you learn the strategy from someone 
that has been where you are. Invest in yourself. That ROI is going to pay you back quicker and you will be glad that you didn't spin your wheels for years and years trying to operate off of intuition. That's my number one piece of advice. Love that advice, Terry. That is great. And we almost have you out of here, but we have one more question for you. This is the one that myself, Justin, or you did not prepare for. This is the wild card question. And are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) All righty, let's do it. So Terry, as we've been talking on this podcast, I think it's become pretty apparent that you were a super accomplished businesswoman, absolutely crushing it in corporate, taking your hands to entrepreneurship, crushing it in that ending up selling that business and then taking on another entrepreneurial venture. But there's no way you're just all business and making money. I'm interested to hear if you have any interesting or hidden secret talents or hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm laughing because the first thing that came to mind, I'm like, I don't want to share that. So when I was laid off, I wanted to, back in the day, maybe after my second child or one of those kids, I have three, (laughs) I I picked up a hobby. I I needed to really work out and I picked up a hobby of pole dancing for exercise. It was this place in Dallas called The Girl Room. I became really obsessed with it. I wanted to start like competing. Like it's almost like a form of gymnastics with a pole. And so a lot of people don't know that I have that I've never been to a the nightclub place where they actually do that. <laughs> just FYI. But I'm pretty skilled without sounding crazy. <laughs> pretty skilled on the pole. <laughs> that is my hidden talent. <laughs> I uh, need to lose weight and get my abs right. It's, it's very good. You ought to try it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Terry, we have to give you the crown for the greatest answer to the wildcard question so far. That was amazing. And this has been an awesome episode. We've went through so many things. We love diving into that mindset to try to help out those entrepreneurial listeners. And there's a lot of nuggets, even if people aren't starting out their own business, that obviously they can take away. But just thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great having you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Cody, I thought this was another cool episode it's interesting how to see her make that transition from normal employment to entrepreneurship. What do you think about the episode? Yeah, one of the big things that stands out to me, man, this is after I went back and listened to the episode after we initially recorded it and just the how important the mindset thing is. Like not only Terry's journey and Terry's mindset shifts as she goes through her corporate career and figures out that entrepreneurship is the route that she wants to go, but all the lessons that she's giving your kids, like telling them that, hey, accumulating a million dollars isn't that crazy, or hey, making six figures a year, that's easy. Psh, you just got to figure out how to do it and then go after it. And I just think that's such a powerful thing because that's one of the biggest themes I see for people we interview who are absolutely crushing it. And that's one of the biggest hindrances I see for people who are maybe a little more reserved. They're like, you know what? I can't do this or that. It's the mindset thing. So that was one of my favorite parts. Like I really wish when I first started my entrepreneurial journey or just my career in general that I had Terry sitting on my shoulder telling me all these awesome tips. Yeah. And obviously she used those mindsets to eventually figure that business out and get it going. But there was an interesting point where the business is actually doing pretty well but she just can't step away from her normal job because it just felt too safe. You know, that W-2 employment a lot of times just feels so comfortable. It's so secure. 
And I just think that's an interesting thing to have out there for people to hear and realize, hey, you're not alone. If you're having trouble stepping out and going full time into your passion, it's understandable. A lot of successful people have those same issues. Just keep working at it. Keep building up that business to a point where you feel absolutely comfortable walking away from that job. And Terry also gave like so many good tips as a tactician when you're an entrepreneur or someone who owns your own business to not focus on the marketing right away. This is a mistake that I have made multiple times in my entrepreneurial journey. Like you just, you want to get the thing out there. You want to start pumping it on every single social media possible. But what Terry said, and it's so true, is that if you have a good business, a good business model, a good product or service, that thing will sell itself regardless of whether or not you're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, all these different social media platforms. So make sure you get the product or service right first then you can go and spend all that time and dollars marketing once you've already proven the concept. Because if you're just pouring marketing dollars or time into an unproven concept, you could just be wasting thousands and thousands of dollars. And then the last thing that stuck out to me, Cody, was something that I like to ask guests a lot of times, and that's how do you figure out you know, how to properly value yourself? How do you feel comfortable charging a premium? And she said, you know, stop focusing so much on yourself and think about your client because You may still have some questions about yourself and are you worth that much money? But think about the changes that you're going to make to your client's life. Like you're going to change their life. And so, yes, they may be paying you $500 or a couple thousand dollars, but you're making these impacts on them that are going to come back multiple folds. So don't sit there and just keep second guessing yourself and feeling bad about charging someone something and having that imposter syndrome because you are going to make a huge impact in their life. Another theme that I find really common, and Terry talked about this, Justin, I think you had asked her specifically, like, did you have peers that you could confide in, tell them, hey, I don't really like this thing. I don't like spending on the hamster wheel. Everyone's making six figures, but they might be spending six figures too. And I just think it's so important to find your people, find your community. Obviously, if you're listening to The Five Show, you probably have already found your people. If not, definitely hit us up or there's so many amazing people in our Facebook group and just in our community in general. Like Justin, you're just talking about your buddy, Aaron, who you met through the online personal finances sphere. And now you're up in Maine whitewater rafting with him. I have slept on so many couches and guest rooms of people in this community because it's just such an awesome and supportive place. So like, if you don't have any peers that you can talk about this stuff with, start to reach out to people in the community because it can really kind of just level up your personal finance game. Your network is your net worth. So the people you start to know that are doing the things you want to do, whether it's side hustling, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's frugality, there are so many people in this community who are there to help you. And now it's time for the call to action. The call to action this week is to get creative with that work ethic. Terry showed how far she was willing to go to get that business off the ground. I mean, even to the point of setting quotas for handing out business cards. And that type of effort makes a big difference, whether that's as an entrepreneur or at your normal W-2 job. So just get out there and get creative with that work ethic and get ahead of your peers. And obviously, Justin and I were super excited about this episode. And if you were excited to want to get all of the little tidbits of information in written form, you can go do that and check them out at the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Terry. That's thefyshow.com slash Terry, T-E-R-R-I-E. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.